Hello everybody, it's Paul New beginning with a special message for you. The past podcast series three is sponsored by my good friends at sousvitool.com. And Tools is the home of all your sous vide and modernist cooking equipment needs. And it's suitable for both the professional chef as well as your budding home chefs, just like me. Visit sousvitool.com and enter the pass. Now just be clear, that's all one word and it's all in capitals, the pass, at checkout and you'll receive an exclusive discount for everybody that listens to the pass. That's good, isn't it? You must be one of the rare ones that did MasterChef and Great British Menu. I think I am the only one that's yeah. Did, yeah, I'm the only one. They don't, when I I've always wanted to do Great British Menu, but when I when I got told from my PR people, I was like, please man, help me help me get on this show. <laughs> and um, the running the running chat was that the, the cross pollination doesn't go too well, uh, which. You know, each has its own production team, yeah. so and everything like that. Um, so when asked to get onto it, I was over the moon, right? Mm. It was GBM, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a different type of show for mm. sure. But quite a lot of people, and myself included, will have obviously become aware with you from MasterChef. Um, what was your kind of career like before you entered the show? My career before I was on MasterChef, I can't remember. It's like six years ago. <laughs> no, I said. Um, it was just a chef trying to prove something, really. Yeah. You know, I was testing the boundaries and pushing the boundaries more, probably because I knew my own style, but it wasn't confirmed. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, you, you're doing the classics, you're doing, you're trying to not jump on the bandwagon of trends, but you're trying to uh, be a part of them mm-hmm. rather than create them, rather than find your own feet, and rather than be a little bit stubborn to say, no, no, this is Adam's food. Mm-hmm. So before then, I was naive, I was young. But I had a I had a goal, mm-hmm. and um, I've, that's one thing that I've always done. I've always chased something. Mm-hmm. There I was running. Now I'm walking. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, kind of watching your journey on MasterChef, and then I kind of followed your career ever since. The minute you opened the Froggy One, and then obviously subsequently here where we are today, the Frog in Covent Garden, it seemed to me that that was your food. It seemed to me like that was the moment you kind of realised. That's kind of who you were. Was that? Would that be fair to say? That's a hundred percent. If it, you're surrounded, you're, you're an employee. Even though the restaurant was Adam Hanning at Caxton, you're an employee. So as soon as that breaks and you open your own place, the shackles come off. You know, you know exactly what you need to do to um, survive, and you know how. You, you think you know how to do it. So obviously, the first beginning was a little bit difficult. We were we had some negative press. So actually, quite a lot of negative press. The music, the way that it looks. Um, never about the food though it was great apart from the Guardian and the Beecher Beecher and more Beecher but it was uh, it was it was difficult to, to to do it give it a couple more months into running it and that was it that was my food we, we'd we finally put a stamp on you know when you can go to a restaurant that's done owned by a chef and um, you go there and you know you're in his restaurant or her restaurant that's what I feel that the frog brand is becoming. Mm. You know, you can, you can you can go to this one or that one, and the foods you see on the menu or how it's presented, or just the respect that everything's done, the unpompousness, the the purity of flavour. Um, and I think that's one thing that took us bloody ages to do, <laughs> really hard to maintain. 
because when you hire when you open a new place you've got to hire senior staff and they'll come with their own influences as well now a lot of senior staff nowadays they want to be able to put their own stamp on things which is rightly so rightly so I was in the exact same boat but that same stamp might not be the same uh, same direction as the rest of the team are going so it's really quite hard to you know pull them back Mm -hmm. and say no this is what we do help make this better not help make a new bloody wheel (laughs) does it does it mean a bit more when you get positive and like the negative that you've like, that you've referred to comments when it is your own creation? Well, it definitely it definitely uh, grabs your balls when you have a negative <laughs> one for sure, and you know pushes them crazy up into your stomach. But you know nobody's going to progress if they don't know that what they're doing wrong. Now, wrong is very different in terms of how people perceive food. You know, if you do the the if you do the normal if you do the obvious errors, overcooked, under seasoned, um, shit seasonality, or you do one where they just don't actually understand or enjoy the dish, is that wrong? Mm. That's not bloody wrong. That's a personal opinion. Mm. A lot of people nowadays they think personal opinions are fact, mm. which is really a pain in the ass. Really, <laughs> but you can't really do anything about that. That's just how it goes. Um, so yeah, no negative feedback when it's justified is is more important than the positive feedback because mm. it helps you grow. Yeah, I guess that's a that's a fair point, and especially somewhere like a restaurant like this, you are still quite young, not been here in this space for that long. Four months. Yeah, but we're sat in the Eve Bar at the moment, and it struck me as soon as I came down here that kitting out somewhere like this must be the funnest part of the job, right? Planning it was the funnest part. <laughs> Handing it over was the worst thing of my life. This was the hardest project I've ever bloody done, and I never want to do a project like this again. It was it was terrible. I'm still I still we still have problems with the building. You know we're running on forty percent power after being open four months. The power should be switched back on next month. Um, they have to dig up the strand and put oh a new God. put a new. Uh, I don't know what the hell they're doing. Oh my God. Yeah, it's good. It's take. It's been. It's, so you're a favourite in the area at the minute, then. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken about thirteen months to have the power put in the building. Uh, we, yeah, small businesses. I don't know how they can cope. You know, I'm struggling to, but you know, I have another restaurant that helps me. Yeah. You know, bring things in. If this was a standalone restaurant of someone's first, it would definitely be shut down. It's just yeah, no help with the power. No help with the construction. The architect, Jesus Christ, the architect's a disaster. You know, I fucked up massively in my restaurant. It was supposed to be a 70-seater restaurant. It was a 42-seater restaurant. You know, the the planning was amazing Mm. because it was all exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when reality starts to build, it was was a, 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 you know, a snowball effect right down a massive hill. I'm conscious that I haven't introduced you. Sorry, been too intrigued uh, in chatting. <laughs> My guest is is the fantastic Adam Handling, um, and as I mentioned, I became familiar with your food from doing Master Chef, and I've followed your career ever since. I uh, met you very briefly in the Frog in E1 with my partner where we had an absolutely fantastic meal so it's really really great to meet you today and have a chat for the podcast so thank you so much for joining me <laughs> it's uh, yeah so it has been a, a busy journey doing Froggy in Covent Garden and I also saw a tweet as well that you're looking to rip out the kitchen already that must be heads all over the place right yeah when you when you when you spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands well close to the million mark on uh on kitchens and bars and you realise that the contractor that's doing it for you didn't do it correctly you know I, 
I still don't have plumbing on my spoon pots on on in in my uh, in my stations. You know, the spoon pots there. It's all opened up. It's just a fucking disaster. That sort of thing. I, I, the extraction. You know, they installed the wrong fan. Just well, they said it was a mistake, and they. But yeah, you you, you put on your invoice. It's this fan. You put in this, the one that's like half the size, half the power. So every time we fry off some, you know, because we have planches. Every time we pan fry off some meat, the smoke alarms go off. Oh no! Because the, the fan is shit. That's the sort of stuff. We've been open four months. Nothing's changing. Oh my god! But. You're finding it, apart from that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> a customer would never realise there's an issue with the building, right. and that's one, that's one <laughs> that's thing good. we do make sure. Now, that's just me being a, you know, pernickety yeah. little bugger, you know. This is, my, this is one of my babies. I put my heart and soul in every, every restaurant I open, every project I do, and when it's not correct or it's not what it should be on paper, what it is on paper isn't reality, mm-hmm. pisses me off inside. Massively. Well, you buy a car and it comes with no wheels, you're going to get annoyed, aren't you? You can't yeah. drive the fucker. It's exactly <laughs> the same as a restaurant. Uh, but a customer will never know. The staff are amazing. We've got 42 staff in this building. Or 40. I'm actually hiring another three more. So it's, it, it sounds a lot, but it's a, it's a seven-day operation. Um, we, I was going to say we don't work like crazy hours, but that would be a sheer lie. <laughs> this guy started at 8 in the morning. They finished, uh, yeah. Last night I finished at 2. Wow. Uh, so yeah, the team around me—they they, had Stephen, the group chef—is right beside, him, right uh, on, right by my side on the pass, uh, and he's been with me eleven years. Johnny's right behind me; he's been with me uh, nine years. Miranda five, or that some of the waiters six. I've got people that they know we work well together without having to say a lot of stuff. So all the errors in the building that it's going to get fixed, but slowly but surely doesn't affect it doesn't affect them you know they've still got smiles on their faces because they can produce what they want to produce funnily enough i was talking to callum franklin and he said uh, to get people to stay with you especially in london for that amount of time it's quite a feat you know to have someone with you for six years etc it's quite an achievement in this industry like what do you kind of put that down to do you think it yeah. It's a hundred percent true. Finding staff is really, really hard. Keeping them is even harder. I think if you if, if you there's a number of things. Honesty, you know, have a, have a goal and don't try and shaft any of them, uh, and allow them to be creative, but also teach them. If you allow creativity, you allow their own personality to come out, and if they're having their own personalities come out, they have a piece of themselves on the menu. You know, they have a piece of themselves on on a dish. Uh, that they've created with the person right beside them. And every time that my chefs serve the food, and every time they'll go out and explain, they explain their own dish, they say it with far more passion than explaining a colleague's dish where they don't really like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, this prick made this dish. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if it's like, I actually made part of this dish myself, yeah. uh, you know, I thought of the idea, it was really, really awesome. And that sort of stuff that they go out and say, I guessed hears it in their voice, sees it in their face, and they enjoy it even more because they're speaking honestly. Yeah. So be true to yourself. Allow creativity. Don't be a dick. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually the motto that you've got written on the wall (laughs) in the kitchen. Don't be a dick. So I don't know um, if you know much about how this is going to work, but basically what I'm, if it's okay, going to ask you to do is pick five dishes that... are your favourite dishes? So it can be anything you want. It can be something you've eaten, something you've made, anything, um, and it will make your menu of the day. And so I wondered if you could 
kind of think of the first dish that you would put on your menu? From all the dishes I've eaten around the world, so I, none of my dishes. It can be your dishes if you like. It can be anything. Let's, should I do two menus, one with mine, one without? If you want. Okay, the, fir- the one dish that is not my dish that I would eat will be one of the last meals I've eaten, last dishes I've eaten, is um, uh, Callum Franklin's uh, lobster thermidor volivant sort of thing. I can't really remember what it's called, uh, but it's absolutely fucking <laughs> delicious. Every time I go there, I always have one along with a hell of a lot of other things, but that thing there is one of the nicest things I've ever eaten. It's just sheer naughtiness, indulgence, and uh, some, you know, it's sim- simple as hell. That's one of them. Hmm, the next dishes, the next dishes. For dessert, we'll have to be a tartatan, an apple tartatan. Simple, I, I think I, I think I'm just a pastry fiend. I love puff pastry, I love butter, and I love things that, I'm, you know, will give you a heart attack. Um, for a fish course, I actually went to, I actually went to um, uh, Roganic, uh, a couple of weeks ago and his little fish course was absolutely incredible and it was so bloody simple it was um, it was it was butter poached halibut with brassicas you know broccoli you've got lettuces you've got a poached fish and butter but it was just fantastic that that'll be my fish course and my main course hmm main course main course <laughs> I'm not too sure actually my favourite thing to eat is a beef wellington. Okay. For sure. Again, puff pastry. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a running theme. I didn't actually think about all this. That's, uh, yeah, give me, give me two. Okay, that's fine, that's fine. I like that you're, uh, you're putting it together as like a menu because yeah, sometimes mind, yeah. when I ask chefs to come up with five dishes, it would just be five dishes that, that mean something to them or that have shaped their career, but it won't follow like a menu. Are you always thinking of food in that sort of sequence yeah I'm always thinking as a flow oh yeah always um, and I, I, I tend to work from the starter and dessert and then work in the way why I don't know I've always done that yeah you oh, did that just then because yeah. you went starter then you went to dessert but it's the and same. then you worked it's in the middle it's the same as when you read a book you know you, you flick through the front you flick through the back and then you just <laughs> get to the middle um, that, this, this is say, it's exactly the same thing I've, I've no idea why I do that but yeah, so I think it's because I prefer smaller dishes and bigger dishes. So if I'm gonna, if, I, if I'm gonna, my my perfect type of meal will be to have all these dishes quite small and lots more of them. Mm. You know, we have a we have a fourteen course tasting menu on the menu, and it's called Journey. So the tasting menu is about the career of the team and the the frog group itself. So it's really really cool. It starts with a dish called Mother, uh, and that dish there has been on my menu five years. It was curated for my mother when she told me she was going to be vegetarian two weeks before I opened my bloody first restaurant <laughs> and I had done a 10 course tasting menu not one vegetarian course so we created this dish me, Steve and Johnny Miranda and um, we loved it ever since it stayed on the menu and we call it mother as it's like a this is the first dish that I, I gave to you know journalists food writers and all them sort of things and the last dish on the menu um, is is a salt beef it's salt beef with gherkins and this dish is, you know, the London ba- uh, uh, the bagel store on on um, uh, fuck me, what's it called? Brick Lane. Yeah. I well, that's right next to the Frog. And every Saturday that uh, we would be cleaning down, and we'd it'd be there to about three, four in the morning. One of the chefs would go 
there, pick up 20 bagels, 25 bagels, bring it back for the rest of the team. And we'd eat salt beef bagels with gherkins and mustard, and we'll drink all the open bottles of wine while we're cleaning down. The whole team <laughs> together. And the, the last course, a uh, savoury course on there, that's the dish. So it's not a bagel itself, but it's the flavours of the salt beef. The, uh, we, we do a barbecued gherkin on there as well. We do a little bit of um, garlic uh, sour cream and mustard emulsion, and we do a little, a, a little uh, uh, croquette on there too. So it's very, very simple, but that right there is the flavour of that bagel that we eat uh-huh. after service. And as a story as a, to the chefs to create something that, that is like that, it's really, really cool. For a guest perspective, we don't tell them all the stories. If they ask for them, we'll tell them because we don't want to bore them. <laughs> but as a collective team, creating, creating a menu and creating a dish that contains purpose will be executed far better. Mm. I remember uh, sitting in, in, the, in the Froggy One and you can kind of look up and see your little like, kind of office and chef's library and, look in, and you can see all the cookbooks that you've got up there. And I wonder how often you sort of find yourself with your nose in a cookbook and searching for ideas. And... A lot less than I used to. You know, um, a lot, lot less than I used to. I think that's most of the time. And the fact is that lately there's not that many great cookbooks out. You know, back at 10 years ago or, or even less than that, uh, seven years ago, the cookbooks that were coming out were thick and fast and they were incredible. Um, so, yeah, not, not, so, not as much as I used to, but, yeah, there's a hell of a lot of books there, isn't there? Uh, my, my new book will be out next year. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about your your cookbooks because uh, I've been able to have a little flick through them as well how how do you go about kind of deciding what dishes you want to put in and then because obviously then when you have a second one you kind of don't want to exhaust yourself on, on one book well the first book was very much uh, I need to get it out I need to get it out quickly because I've just done MasterChef it's uh, you've got to keep the momentum running um, so it was dishes that were on the menu were dishes that were familiar to us and they were dishes that were uh, made easy for home cooks. It's not a home cooked book, but it was the easiest book. It's the easiest type of recipes I could have done mm-hmm. um, for home people. The next one is going is taking just under two years to make. So it's going to be absolutely bloody incredible. Um, but I'm not going to say too much about it. It's I was going to say, is it a secret? That's it's, fine. Yeah, I, yeah. I, won't, I won't press you too hard. I think in the middle of... In, in another three, four months is when we'll release something. Okay. Which will be great. Okay. So the best thing to do is keep an eye out on your websites and kind of keep a, keep a track of what you're doing for the second one. Yeah. And it'll be out this year? Next year. Next year. Yeah. Incredible. Oh, that would be really exciting. And your first one was Smile or Get Out the Kitchen. That's yeah. right, isn't it? How did you come up with that title? It was, it was actually not me, it was the publicist. I, I wanted to call it Pear and Pigeon. <laughs> well, I have no idea, but I just think Pear and Pigeon, when you say it, it just rolls off the tongue. Um, and he says, no, don't call it that, because it sounds very odd tumble, which is fair enough, it's very true, or very gamey. And uh, I was like, well, I'm bloody lost, and what the hell do we call it? And they said to me, I've been doing a lot of research on your interviews, and you always say, smile, or, uh, you know, get out of the kitchen, enjoy yourself, whatever, that sort of thing. So call it that. And I'm like, no, that's a bit cheesy, man, I'm not going to do that. I had a, a photo shoot in the, in the restaurant where we were filming some of the dishes, and one of the guests said to me, what are you doing? I said, oh, it's for my new cookbook. And they're like, oh, what's it going to be called? And I says, perfect, this gives me an opportunity. Do you like the name Pear and Pigeon? 
or smile get out of the kitchen they said smile get out of the kitchen that was it that's how it decided <laughs> but fair enough I'm only going to do one poll you won that's it <laughs> that's the ultimate yeah that's the ultimate like ended poll there yeah, poll yeah, of yeah. one yeah but having that chance like you say of giving the chefs a chance to get out of the kitchen come to the to the guests I can still remember that now from when we went and it not only does it add to the guest experience but I wonder if you sort of encourage your chefs to seek feedback as well yeah they, they, they'll always ask how was everything but all the guests will say it was nice mm. they do they are very intimidated in speaking uh, giving negativity to chefs why I don't know because if you say if you say something like oh I didn't really quite enjoy that that's perfectly fine that chef will come in the kitchen and quickly organise the team to create you a dish because we have small dishes it doesn't take long to do to give you an, uh, that dish so that you have something you do enjoy you know food is like art it's subjective to a degree not as much as art it is like art it is subjective but I can't like you said about the confidence thing I've never in fact maybe twice I've said do you know what I didn't quite enjoy that because mm-hmm. it is quite hard I think it is quite hard but you should never be afraid to say it a restaurant would never want you to leave with something you're not quite happy with. So if you're having if you're having a, a meal and there's something you don't enjoy on it, say. Say to the chef. Say it's, uh, if he's serving you. Say to the waiter. Be confident enough. Because at the end of the day, why the hell pay for something that you don't enjoy? Something else can be made for you. And I guarantee you, if you go to any decent restaurant, say you, don't, say you didn't enjoy it, they're not going to say, all right, fair enough, and take your plate away. They will <laughs> replace it with something they think you will enjoy. The chef's going to create something for you. Do you like this, this, this? Or he'll just send you something. And it's that sort of stuff, that sort of giving a damn that makes a restaurant succeed. And, but to be fair, it's hospitality. It's got to be hospitable. So the moral of the story is if you're in any of Adam's restaurant, just complain more often. <laughs> complain more often, you'll get, fe- you'll get, you'll get fed massively. <laughs> I'm not going to complain. I, 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 just, I guess for me, one of the reasons why I've done something like this is I, I'm of the opinion that my, my beliefs, like you said, my beliefs on food are subjective. So if I don't like something, it's more of a comment on myself than it is on the chef. Do you see, do you see what I mean? No, that's 100%. It's, like I said before, it's, it's, if something is not enjoyable because it's personal preference or because it's done by incompetent mistakes, overcooked, under-seasoned, that sort of stuff then that's 100% perfect. You, you you wouldn't really be pissed off about not enjoying it. You'll just say it's my personal one. But if it's done by, you know, incompetence, then you'll be a little bit mm. like, really? You know, come on, man. I can... This is stupid. How do you not figure out that that's well done, that that's too salty, and that's cold? You know, that sort of stuff. There's a difference. That's a valid complaint to really kick off. I really like the story that you were telling about the, the bagels, and, and it gives me an interesting question of you know where else do you sort of find ideas for the dishes especially if you are doing so many dishes you've got to have a lot of ideas right i find inspiration doesn't just come from um eating dishes it comes from smells it comes from sceneries it comes from uh talking to somebody and it, uh, any uh, an inspiration can come as a flicker as a little uh, as a quarter of a dish or as an idea and it just kind of like in my mind I have the main thing which I want to think about 
and then I do a little spider chart in my mind about everything that works with it and then things coming off of it. And then all of a sudden, we've written this all down and we've said, let's do this, 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 because we all know it works. Sweet, salty, savory, sour, bitter, and umami. And then that's how a dish is created there. The inspiration, like I said, you can go into uh, a place and smell something. It's not intentionally to make you think about food or it's not intentionally a restaurant. It could be a supermarket and you smell peaches or whatever or just chatting to one of the chefs. I have an idea. I want to do a pigeon dish, but I want to do it with this. And then another one talks, how about you do this, this, with this? And then it's going through, and then all of a sudden you're doing a bloody chicken dish. <laughs> you know, uh, but the dish has been spoke about, and it's, yeah. it's done that way. People that are allowed creativity will continually grow and make your restaurant better. Do you have to sort of almost like force your... Because in that idea stage, I imagine you almost kind of don't want to start cooking because you're like, oh no it can't this won't work and that won't work do you almost have to like kind of force yourself to put something down on a plate uh no force no it, it, lots of stuff will come naturally 90 percent of everything that we create doesn't go on the menu right, it, okay. it goes straight in the bin <laughs> but it's an idea if you don't make a mistake you cannot progress that's true that's true i wondered if there was another one of your dishes that you might be able to talk me through there's one dish that I have on the menu now, and it, it's been one that I did not give up on. Usually I do give up on a dish when it doesn't work, but I have not given up on it. It's called posh baked potato. And it's very, 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 it's very simple. It's very easy. It's just the flavor of a barbecued baked potato. But to make it posh, we then crack it open and we add caviar to it. That's the flavor. It's one bite. How we make it is bloody not that easy at all. It takes forever. <laughs> Anyway, this dish was created as a, as, a, um, a, as, as a limestone potato dish that was um, mixed with uh, barbecued um, leeks, barbecued onions, barbecued seaweed, barbecued mushrooms. So it was quite dark, very umami, very bloody strong. And then it was, uh, it was filled with um, like a cafe de Paris butter inside mixed with kimchi uh, and then finished with her, uh, beautiful flowers. And it was black with a, an orange center and covered in flowers. Delicious but quite a Marmite dish because it was so strong on umami. And umami can be uh, perceived as salty. So then we played again and we changed the potato, we take away the leeks, we take away, we, we, we progressed. And then we topped it with a different type of caviar instead of butter. Still great, but it wasn't perfect. It wasn't just, in, it wasn't until uh, last week where we have changed it to a brand new dish. We changed the caviar, we changed the potato, we changed the filling, we changed everything. We then we confit the potato, we dry the potato out, we refry it, we fill it with, instead of having butter, we do it with like the, uh, the sour cream, chives, oniony sort of thing that you get at a barbecue, and, um, and then we top it with an even better caviar. So we, we yeah, really good caviar. So this dish took bloody ages to create, uh, uh, something that we had been thinking about for um, nine months or something in E1 site to create for this menu. Now it's perfect. And we had Pierre Kaufman come in last week that uh, took a picture of it and put it on Instagram, which is lovely. Because of that, the Times um, put it in their, uh, did a feature on the dish two days ago on Burns Night. And they called it, How Posh Was Your Potato? <laughs> which is quite funny. The food that we do is, is familiar food, just done better than you can at home, mm. but not pretentious and not confusing you know when you eat a plate of food and you get told eat this first then this then this why 
This isn't a bloody science lesson. <laughs> I want to come here with my friends and have a great meal in a relaxed environment. And that's what I think the Frog's Food does. It's, sim- it's simple. You can't do it at home. And it's value for money. Mm. Is, is that then the sort of ethos that you try and sort of build your career on because one of the things that struck me ahead of coming in here is you you are like i say a very busy chef you've got two sites now you've got your um coffee shop as well there must be people coming to you all these times saying oh have you got another idea for us adam come on we want to open up another restaurant want to do this so more times than you can think <laughs> more, <laughs> more times than you can think yeah i was doing a um, an event with uh, for glenn fiddick for burns night I saw that which was lovely it was really good we had a power issue two hours no power right just as i had my lamb wellingtons in the oven but it was uh, it was it's great i'm always doing stuff the the me and the guys were in uh, near china um beginning of the beginning of december we're off to the cayman islands next Amazing. month or the month after that where we're going back to china uh, to do another event we're, we're get, we get sent our, away a lot so if we're not in the restaurant we're working abroad we're doing something it's very rarely do we do we, do we, do we just take a day off like the senior chefs do but I don't I, I, I really do work every day uh, and it's that thing about if you, if you take your foot off the bloody gas you, you just snowed under and then it, you, you just get stressed you just get angry and that's one thing you want to make sure that there's not there's obviously heated discussions in the kitchen for sure but we enjoy each other's company. So if any of us take a foot off the gas, you just trip yourselves up. Well, I can vouch for that because not a lot of chefs would give up time on a Saturday for me, which I'm very, very grateful for. It helps me out a lot. But I did wonder, like, do you do that? Do you take time off? <laughs> no, I take, I, take, I take time off and I shut the restaurant. So I closed the whole company down for Christmas. And that was my first time off that I had in a long, long time. Uh, and I have nothing planned this year. I now, uh, th- two weeks ago, I then decided to shut every Sunday in Covent Garden, only in the restaurant. Eve, Eve, the Eve bar is still open, uh, and that's so that it gives me a time to catch up on my paperwork. Which I, I don't. So you're still working? Ah, well, yes, yeah. I, I have an office in my house, and um, I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll go through everything. But the one thing about it, I'm a very hands-on person. I, c- I take, con- I take control of the finances. I take control. Of, um, of of menu development, of the health and safety aspect. We're not just a restaurant, we're a group now. We've got 110 employees. You know, you've got to make sure you're watertight proof of certain things or you leave yourself open to get shafted. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're me, uh, my group GM, Stephen, our group chef, and uh, I have an operations girl that runs around after, runs around after us and does all this <laughs> stuff. But well, we are, we're all hands-on. When operational starts, you know, service starts, we're... We've stopped all of our paperwork, we're on the floor, we work properly, we train, we, we do all that sort of stuff. When service is finished, we're all on our laptops. Um, Stephen, not, he's in the kitchen playing with stuff, we're all, but we're all, we're all catching up on paperwork. Mm. Three sites now, we're about to open another one. Yes, there's a lot of secret stuff happening. Uh, and there's another big thing happening at the end of the year. So we're all planning and planning and planning My and planning. My face is lighting up because I don't know how much to press you on these. I don't want to make it awkward for you. <laughs> there's a lot of things I can't say, but <laughs> a lot of restaurants will announce years to, uh, you know, like next year I'm opening another restaurant. I like that, but everyone does it. So you're in the same category. If you drop the bomb a couple of months before you open a restaurant, it's all about you. Yeah. So as a, as a, as a good thing not to... Not to, not to give too much away and be paired with all the restaurants that are opening in one year. Drop the bomb. I saw you tweeting about uh, looking for a site in Shoreditch area. So would that be for one of them? That is one of them, but yeah. there, are, there are two. 
Right, that, okay. is, that is one. So, well, yeah. Yeah, that's it's it. Fine. No, it's fine, it's fine, it's I'm fine. I'm not a grilling interviewer. I, I, I wouldn't want you to say anything that gets yourself in trouble. It's more about me being excited as a, as a fan of, of, of your work. It's very, so. it's very exciting. This, this year is going to be a phenomenal year. Oh, but I mean, well, the, yeah. I can't wait to I can't wait to see what happens. To be quite frank, you must have been quite proud as well seeing Jamie do so well on Master Chef as well. Like you, you did very very well as well. You must have been very proud. Uh, we uh, as as a uh, Jamie's Jamie's a great chef, but he's also a friend, and that's that's the one thing. So as uh, we push and push and push, and like I said, we always bounce ideas off each other. So Jamie Jamie's Jamie's not an arrogant person when he needs. When he needs advice or help or whatever, he doesn't think he knows everything. But just having a different palate, a different fresh mind, a different pair of eyes. And not just myself, it could be Stephen, it could be a commie, it could be anybody. We all work together in creating something great. So, uh, and, and Jamie's, very, Jamie's like you would have saw in Master Chef that he was very true to himself. That's one thing that I want everybody to be, you know, not just as in my kitchens, in the bloody in the world be true to your bloody self in any profession you're doing in any walk of life you're doing and him on MasterChef he did that his food that he plated up was Jamie Park's food which was phenomenal it wasn't Adam Handling's food that Jamie's just doing a spin on he really put his heart and soul you know there's a few things that plankton yeah that's not for me at all <laughs> but Jamie's a, Jamie's a little bloody hipster and he loves that sort of stuff but the thing that he had balls enough to say, no, no, I believe in this. I'm going to put it on a dish. Mm. And look what he did. He smashed it. It was, uh, it was really interesting to see him do things like that. Again, having eaten in, in the frog. And I, I sh- you were definitely there, but I'm sure I saw Jamie in the background as well. So is it a bit about you now saying, look, I'm over here in Covent Garden now you kind of take the reins a little bit more, you lead the food a little bit more. Yeah, well, Jamie's been with me, I think, for... No, five years, actually. I think he's been with me about five years. And um, self-progression, we always want him to do. So he started with me as a chef to party. He's now head chef of E1. But the fact is that he's been beside me for so long. He, We've came in synced. Well, he, not in synced in terms of that, because that just sounds bloody weird. But, like, he, he, has, he understands our vision. Now, I say our vision because it's a group and it's done by a collective part of people. It's not my vision. It's one that, it's one that we've all created together. And he's, he wants to make his little stand to say, I can help you, I can progress, that sort of stuff. So I'm, I've now taken, instead of my name off everything and saying it's, it's, uh, uh, my face is everywhere, mm-hmm. I promote Jamie. Mm-hmm. I promote the guy who runs the bars in Eve. I promote Stephen in this place. I promote all of them. Rather than it being me, 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 which is a bit arrogant, <laughs> let them be them. You know, they're the ones that are going to make the restaurant succeed. They're the ones that's going to make it successful because it's part of them. And that's, that's what we're doing with Jamie. But it must be quite interesting because you kind of go from this chef that people haven't heard about and then you go on and you do a show and then you go on and you do another show and you do really well for yourself and then all of a sudden people like me want to shove microphones in your face people want you to come on camera people want you to fly around if i'd have said that to you before you started this journey you'd have probably told me to do one right i would have told you to do one because i wasn't i didn't have confidence and i thought what the hell is he wanting to talk to me about yeah you know i was very very shy when when i when i Created, um, no, sorry, when I decided to send all the chefs outside to serve food, I bloody hated it. So did the chefs. But I only did it because I wanted them to see how much 
how much the guests enjoyed the food because staff turnover was bloody high. And uh, uh, as soon as I started getting them to serve the food, staff turnover went down. You know, the staff wanted to stay. And that was all done by going out, getting confidence, serving the guests. But I hated it. You know, every time I have, and even now, I have to stand up and do a speech in front of 100 people, 200 people, a couple of thousand people. I get bloody nervous. But you're such a natural talker now with me. You're so relaxed. You're not guarded at all. Well, I'm in my house. This is my restaurant, you know? (laughs) You put put me in another environment, right? It's it's not your, the comfort of your walls. It's, uh, it, it does, it changes. It's different. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm obviously a very intimidating presence, so (laughs) you're doing so well. But, but again, like on, on those shows, you aren't you are, you do come across really well so that must be encouraging right oh yeah it, 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 I don't want to come across a dick <laughs> you know that I have my moments I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people would have seen but um, I know I actually think I'm, an, I'm, I'm a I'm a genuine alright person but I've got a good team around me and they've stayed for a while so if I was that much of a little Hitler they would have left me by now <laughs> could you um, you've already kind of alluded to some of this but one of the things I like asking chefs is it's about like an ultimate foodie tip can be simple can be complicated just one thing for myself and the listeners to improve their cookery what would it be? well taste is, is the main one so taste, taste, taste taste uh, before, during, after whenever making something but that's 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 to make something taste good because you can always adjust seasoning in terms of increase it you can't decrease it so that's a very good tip as well to do but another one is make a mistake do not be afraid to make a mistake you have an idea in your head try it if it fails you've learned from it and you won't do it again that's how you progress as a better chef and that could be as a home or a professional do not be afraid to put your heart on a plate do not be afraid to make a mistake or uh, don't be afraid to like fail at the thing you're trying to create because you'll learn how to make it better and you won't make the same mistake twice if you do you're just bloody stupid but you won't make the same mistake twice that's one thing to progress as a person as a, as a chef not as a, not just as a dish and when you look at the restaurants that you have now and the plans that you have in the future do you have something that you'd really like to achieve I would want to say world domination. <laughs> no, as a, I, 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 the plan is I'm going to have five restaurants in London, to have them all quite unique, all ran by the chefs that helped me grow the company, and um, them to be bloody successful. You know, the the two that we have at the moment are are always full, which is lovely to see. It's a lot of work, but it's always full. But it's a small company. When you the more restaurants you have, the the easier it becomes because you have more of a senior team that does more stuff. But my my goal is to have five restaurants around London, all unique in in terms of what they're doing, but still in sync as hell as a Mm. frog group. That's what I want. I I, I want chefs to come through the door, want to come work with us, to be inspired, to leave and inspire others. Uh, I don't want want anything else. I don't really care too much about being a TV chef. I don't really care too much about having 10,000 books. I only want one more. Uh, I just want a group of restaurants that I've curated that's the best I can possibly do. And in terms of things like accolades, awards, I saw the frog got the biblical man, which is amazing. 
do you set yourself goals for things like that or is it just let it come naturally let it come naturally and on Burns Night was the uh, Foodism Awards in London and uh, we're nominated for the the E1's nominated for um, the shortlist for Best Fine Dining Restaurant and it's up against the great ones like Lyle's and all them sort of stuff and my PR people were like we have tickets for you do you want to send some of your chefs to go because I had to do the Glenn Fiddick event and I said, no, no, what, why? We're not going to win. We're up against these legends. Well, no, not at all. Let, let them work. And uh, halfway through during service in Glenfiddich, I got a message from Kate, who looks after my PR, and she goes, you fucking won. <laughs> that was exact words. She's never swore at me in my life. But she goes, you fucking won. And I was, I was just like, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> That's amazing. But it's just like amazing how what we're doing is... is, is even though I've moved away from that restaurant, I'm still there. You know, I go a good, two, a good few times a month to, to help Jamie or to be on the pass or to eat there more so just so I can see everything. But the fact is that it's still succeeding mm. without me there mm. is a phenomenal thing. And that's, what, that, that's how to make a restaurant company grow. Let one thrive on its own with its own personality. So, yeah, I'm still shocked about that award, to be fair. We, we loved it there. We had, it's one of the most memorable meals that we've had, so I can give you a real good compliment there. It was a fantastic night. I wondered, out of all the dishes that you spoke me through, or even you can add one more, if we had to create a specials board of one dish that would be Adam Handling's favourite dish, what would you put on your special board? Cheese and truffle donuts. Cheese and truffle donuts. So I, I eat about six a day. They're so good. It's, it's incredible. They're just little mouthfuls of naughtiness. Uh, yeah. So that that will be that will be the thing that. Yeah. Do you have them here as well? Because I've had the, I had it in E one. Yeah. So in E one, we now do we do it with different types of cheese. So we do it with uh, a cheddar and a parmesan. And here we do it with parmesan and black truffles. Amazing. Yeah, they were so delicious. Good choice. Uh, listen, mate, you know, when I approach people, you never know if they're going to say yes or no. But the minute you said yes, I've been so excited about this meeting. You're a chef that I've followed since, like I say, since you did MasterChef. Really, really, I've followed you avidly. Every time you've done a new restaurant, I've added it to the list of places to go. Desperate to get here. Next time we're in London, I'll come and eat here. Thank you so much for your time. I've loved it. My pleasure. My Thank pleasure. you. <laughs> I really enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much for listening. Again, before I tell you about who's coming up next week, just a chance to say to email me, to tweet me, to get me on Facebook. So yeah, you've got all the details, I'm sure, by now. But the most important one I'll bang on about is the email. So it's paul at thepastpodcast.com. Send me an email. Go on, do it now. Do it now. I'm not going to tell you who's coming up next week until you send me an email. I can, I can, uh, I can wait. I've got all day. No, no. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll rely on you to come back and do that later. So, who's coming up next week? Well, it is none other than Chantelle Nicholson. Woo! Yay! So Chantelle, her book, which we're going to talk about next week, is now out. Uh, it's called Planted, and you'll find way more about the chat that I had from Treadwells with Chantelle next week. Thanks to our sponsor, SousVTools.com. For more information on the range of SousV and modernist cooking training days on offer at their state-of-the-art training facilities in the Northwest and now also on Connaught Street in London, you can visit SousVTools.com and click on the training and support section. See you later.